Be of good cheer. That's right. That's right. Familiar verse, you know, it's there at the end of John uh, 16. Um, I've got I've got two passages of scripture that I want us to look at, and I want to go through them very quickly. And if I had to describe what I would, why I'm sharing them, and what I hope comes from it, I want us to know how to stand in this season and and in this thing, because there are. A million ways that you're going to be tempted to do it, that I'm tempted to do it. And, uh, they range from doing it weekly, giving up, uh, on what you believe God wants, uh, being angry. I, I, I know I've, uh, told some of you this, but I had, a uh, I had the worst possible personal revelation that I've ever had in my life back in the aftermath of the Bush v. Gore election. I said horrible, horrible, horrible things. that They came out of my mouth, and I tried casting them away <laughs> and out. Uh, but they were actually part of me, and they, they were still there, and they came out. And I threw things uh, around the house. I threw things at the TV. I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror one day, and I looked like one of those alien things that had invaded my veins and were crawling up my neck and into my forehead. I was just stressed out. And I, I, I realized then that I was probably operating in a carnal reaction to that. And I tried to calm down, and I went to the Lord. That was a long time ago. I didn't realize. That's almost like, gosh, was that 20, huh? 20 years ago. And, uh, and so I kind of retreated from passion about politics, but then I didn't really have a whole lot that I had to deal with. I, I could tolerate a few few people, a few things. Uh, and so I found myself tempted to, to retreat from this, and that's not the right thing to do. Uh, I found myself tempted to react carnally, but fortunately it didn't have the same hold on me it did back then. And so, anyway, I, I was very, I, I was very eager to figure out how, how to respond, and how to govern my responses, and how to free them and everything. And so, the first thing I did is I asked the Lord uh, about, you know, I prayed about the, I was praying about the election on Tuesday morning, and He said, "Just trust me with the election." Okay, I'm willing to do that. And then we went on. I have a thing I'm going to share that the Lord encouraged me with. But and, and then I, I hope that some of you have some things to share. I know that some do. For instance, Holly, if you would be able and willing to share about our visit to the lion on Wednesday. Yep. Okay. Okay. It was it was good though, wasn't it? It was like super good. And then Vicky uh, had the Lord share something with her in a personal ascension that I'm going to have her share. And then the Lord share something with me. But I just want to lay a little groundwork in Scripture here. This is what that says in the Waymouth translation. Have peace. In the world you have affliction, but keep up your courage. I have won the victory over the world. And when Jesus had just uh, thus spoken, he raised his eyes towards heaven and said, Father. Now, obviously, this is not the best known translation. I chose it because it spoke about courage and, and, and it, it put a, a past tense on Jesus' victory. I thought it was good. Weymouth is a pretty neat translation. But, you know, uh, the King James says, be of good cheer. That was what I quoted from at first. Uh, I've overcome the world. And uh, but what I want you to see is this. But keep up your courage. I, Jesus, have won the victory over the world. And if you take the chapter break out and you just keep reading, the narrative says, when Jesus had thus spoken, he raised his eyes toward heaven and said, Father. The first thing I get out of this is don't lose touch with the union in which we are engaged. Somebody asked me, oh, you did, sweetie. How did Jesus encourage himself in the Lord? And I, I thought about it, and I thought it was a great question, and I thought it was a funny question, and I started running snarky answers through my mind, like uh, uh, I encouraged myself with myself, the Lord, you know, or whatever the case is. <laughs> Did I say that? I, okay. Anyway, the process 
led me to realize the connection between these two things that we don't see because there's a chapter break. But Jesus just said, have peace. In the world you have affliction, but keep up your courage. I've won the victory over the world. Father, because Jesus didn't say when Jesus had thus spoken, he raised his eyes towards heaven. He just stopped talking and lifted his eyes towards heaven and connected. That's the key to that reality. Stay knowing who you know. No. All right. Was that your phone, Tim? That's funny. All right. So here's the other passage of Scripture that I wanted to go through. And this is a little bit long, but I'm going to speed through it. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... Now, I remember my favorite sermon about this passage. Heidi Baker preached it at Bethel one day when I was there. And she says, she read, she's reading out of the NIV. I don't know how Heidi has done so much ministry with the NIV. It's amazing. <laughs> Could be the Spirit. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, then she walked up to somebody in the front row and goes, Well, is there? Yeah. Is there? Is there? Is there? This is a presumptive question. It's a question we've got to keep in our mind, and we're supposed to ask it. We're supposed to consider it. And the very first thing it says is, is there any encouragement? Well, that must mean that we're in a situation where we need encouraging. And is the answer yes, or is it no? Are the circumstances encouraging always? No. Is there encouragement in Christ always? Yes. Any consolation of love? Isn't that an interesting phrase? Is your heart breaking? And will love heal it? Is there some, some nurture, some embrace? Yeah. Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Do you feel alone? Do you feel isolated, left behind? Is there any fellowship in the Spirit? Any affection and compassion? And Paul goes and says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, uniting in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. I don't know if this is what he had in mind, uh, but, but when I was praying Wednesday about heeding the Lord's warning against the leaven of the Pharisees or the leaven of Herod. Both those things, both religious arrogance and, and spirituality that's not holy and not humble and relational, and political hubris and arrogance, you know, they're full of empty conceit and selfishness. And it's so emotionally gratifying. Like one of the reasons that I almost had a stroke when they were counting hanging chads that Richard had printed. <laughs> Richard used to work for a ballot printing company back in the day, and that's his claim to fame in our breakfast group. Uh, the reason that I almost had a stroke was because of empty conceit. It was a self-indulgent surrender to, to my view of righteousness. And I was weaving together and feasting off the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And it led to no good. It, the only good it led to was mercy and the opportunity to repent and see an actual transformation inside my heart. Which is a good thing, I guess. Uh, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is something else that I'm going to caution us to do, because if we do it, we're going to be like our Father in heaven. And if we don't do it, we're going to have to give an account of it at some point. Uh, the other morning on Tuesday, I was praying, and I asked the Lord to help me pray. And one of the things he had me pray for was poll workers and counters and ballot counters and stuff. But not, and I did pray. I prayed that they would operate in righteousness and all this kind of stuff. 
But I also, I also really felt his compassion for the opportunity that this whole scenario is going to be for the healing and deliverance of individual people. Because um, the people on the other side are not fundamentally our enemy. They are not fundamentally our enemy. And if we make them our enemy, we will not be useful to the Lord in their lives. If we refuse steadfastly to assign enemy status to the people that uh, either see things differently than us or are deceived or aren't deceived the same way we're deceived or <laughs> whatever the cause of the difference, if we, if we will steadfastly refuse to make them an enemy, we might in fact be able to be a part of their their awakening, their liberation. This is something that we're learning about the gospel. And I'm not going to talk about the union thing too much tonight at all, really. But I am going to come back to it next week because I want to understand, myself and I want us to get to understand, we're not looking at that as a doctrine. We're looking at it at the way God thinks. And we're trying to align ourselves with his thoughts. And if you've ever been in a situation where you are desperate for meaning in your life and you don't know that Jesus is the source of it it's very very easy to be sucked in to something that provides that meaning and principalities and powers and spirits and then people who are engaged in those things can um, can suck you right in and and violate your dignity and your destiny and so I just want to really be careful about that. So as we're praying and as we're declaring and we're doing all this, let's keep in mind that on the opposite side of, of our desires and what we believe God wants are people who he loves and is determined through this to set free into the revelation of Jesus, who he is and who they are. So the things that I, that was me on a soapbox for a minute. If there's any encouragement or consolation, fellowship of the Spirit of Flexion, be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. The reason I highlighted this, I want to go back to it. We don't have to change because of this. This isn't calling for us to, to be radically different than simply following Jesus and loving one another as he loved us. Let's maintain. Let's be of the same mind. Let's be united in spirit, and let's be intent on one purpose. And I am not against rallying around the purpose of righteousness being revealed and corruption being exposed. And I want our current president to continue. But it doesn't require that we become something different than what is required when we get up in the morning and say, Jesus, I present myself to you to follow you today. And sometimes we think it does, and that is probably a misunderstanding of the normal life we have with Christ, more than it is an increased understanding of what we're up against. Next chunk out of this passage is, <clears throat> have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And there's so much in here that is so beautiful and so deep and so theological and so magnificent. But the point, I only want one point to come tonight. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, if you just close your eyes for a second, and you'll think of what it says in Hebrews. For the joy set before him. Christ endured that. The joy set before him 
is that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You mentioned, Jen, the, this darkness being what it is and, and, and being so public that the Father and the light of his life and glory are going to be shown. Jesus is after that in every life on this earth, including ours. Every nation, including ours. Every circumstance, including theirs. And so I just ask us to let our passion be drawn into Christ's passion. He is planning on every participant in this drama. Bowing a knee and giving glory to the Father. That needs to be our hope as well. Our goal. If we can do that and keep that our goal, we can fight with pure hearts and true righteousness and not with self-serving and the stuff I just talked about previously. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's another thing that, I, that reminds me of our union. It is God. The thing that irritates you about this situation, the thing that inflames you, the thing that causes tears to come to your eyes for the sense of injustice or the sense of, of the unfairness of it, it is God working in us. Now, we can twist it a little bit because our heart has the capacity to commingle light and dark. I certainly did at the Bush Vigor. I was a commingler extraordinaire. There was, a, there was a thread of righteous indignation and then a whole bunch of carnal indignation. But, and then here I think is a key for us. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Some translations say complaining. So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. Among whom you appear as lights of the world. Among whom. Our destiny, our, our goal here, our purpose is not just to win. It is to win the ones who we stand in the midst of. As we appear as lights in the world. And believe me, there is a lot of darkness that fuels all of this conflict. A lot. And Jesus Life is the light of men, and it enlightens the heart of every man coming into the world, John says at the beginning of his gospel. We, of all people, have to keep that in mind. We have to reach out to that. We have to appeal to that. We have to pray to that. We have to pray for the preservation and the igniting of that light. You know how Paul talked about, uh, Timothy, something fan the flame that is in you. I don't know how to do that. I know that's what God is and wants. And so in this exercise of faithfulness and, and rigor and faithfulness and, 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 and passion, let's keep in mind that our job, our destiny, our calling is to show ourselves as children of God above reproach in the middle of a, a generation that is perverse and crooked. And that we are to shine like lights. Isaiah 60. Arise and shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord is upon you. Because there is darkness on the land and deep darkness on the people. Be passionate. But reserve a part of your passion to shine. And, and, and seek God to manifest as a child that is radiant with that light in the midst of the darkness.
Hold fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason and glory. That's Paul talking. Because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. So just that. Just as you've always obeyed. Again, it's not a requirement that we adopt a brand new life. Let's take up the life that we have. And let's apply it without grumbling or disputing. So that we can be children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And let's believe that even in the midst of a bare-knuckle fight, we can shine light into darkness. And if you have to envision knocking your opponent down and then picking them up and giving them a hug and walking away friends like schoolyard boys fight, let's do it. So, Vicky, why don't you start? If you have if you have something the Lord said to you, like Richard, I loved what you shared about the Lord talking to you about declaring. Okay, so I don't know what day it was, but anyway, um, I was kind of just worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden I saw these roses, and they were being thrown on the ground. And um, then I saw Jesus's feet, and they were bare. And then people were throwing red and white roses in front of him, and he is stepping on them. And I thought to myself, wow, that's got to hurt. But then I see that there are no thorns on the roses. And as he steps on them, this aroma comes up, and it, it smells like roses, but different. But there's this underlying fragrance underneath that I just couldn't identify. And so I asked Jesus, I go, what is that underlying smell? And he said, it is disappointment, and I am crushing it. And my blood and my righteousness is being released over disappointment. So we continue to lay the roses at his feet, and he continues to step on them. And as the rose fragrance is released, people begin to worship him, not out of heartache, but in true joy as the disappointment was lifted. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we say yes. We say yes, and we are not ashamed of our disappointment, Lord. We lay it at your feet and thank you that your blood and your righteousness is enough. And we thank you for the passion and, and, and the care that you have for us. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else got a comment about that or anything they want to say or pray about it? Okay. Holly, come on up and let's, let's, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to help you. And Tim and, Tim and Meg were there too. <laughs> okay. So Holly uh, generally leads our Wednesday's Ascension, and she was, in fact, fulfilling that role this Wednesday. And before I share that, can I share something God's showing me? Oh, absolutely. So I don't forget it. Yeah, um, pull the mic up so you can. Okay, thanks. There you go. Just because he's been showing me glimpses all day, and as you were teaching and as we are worshiping, he was showing me more and more. But um, I think whenever you talked about the idea that if we don't make people our enemies, um, that they're... They're going, I mean, you, you said it very eloquently and I don't remember it as eloquently, but basically that if we don't make them our enemies, then, then, um, we can play a part of their story and we can be a part of them bowing. Um, being yeah. one of the every knees to bow is kind of what I took from your teaching, but then I just, God keeps challenging me and, and I feel I have to challenge all of us that also if we don't make them our enemies, then they can become a part of our story because there's a piece of God in them that we need and we've been missing. But if we rise to the level of saying that we're sitting on a high horse and that we are standing on this high moral ground, um, then we're missing a part that they carry um, as humans. And even though I'm a thousand percent on the side of hoping that things turn out the way that we're all wanting, um, and I'm a thousand percent on the side of exposing the dark, the the humans that have been making bad choices, but more importantly, the darkness that has been been behind it. I think there's something there that if we will get off of our our horse and and be amongst, like you said, not to be pharisaical, not to cling to this, that not only can we affect them and that they'll be more likely to bow, but that when our knees bow and our tongues confess, it'll be from a more humble place of knowing that the only thing different that we have is God. That that's literally the only difference. 
between the us versus them, because some people that want very opposite from what most people in our church want also are trying really hard to love God. And mm-hmm. so if we can just hear each other, that there's something there, I think that God's better. But for some reason, like literally in worship, I, I had this weird sense of pride come up in me that I was like, that's gross. Like I literally couldn't do say anything, but God, this is gross. Like I don't feel it naturally. I don't know where it's coming from. But it's gross because there's something really gross that is not light and is very dark um, that, that that we're balancing with. And I don't know, but I just felt like I needed to share that because there's something there I think that God's, and I don't have the answer. I just feel like God's sharing something to the effect of um, that I, that our needs our needs need to bow again. <laughs> that our needs mm-hmm. need, our, we're part of the needs bowing, and that that comes as we're welcoming in the God that is within those that someone try to make our enemies. So anyway, that's what God's showing me today. But. Well, um, hang on just a second, and I'm going to share what I share because it kind of dovetails off that, okay. and then we'll, we'll go to the ascension. And Again, if any of you guys got anything you want. Richard, did you have something you wanted to come and share? Okay. So, <clears throat> oh yeah, Janet. So um, when I was in the hospital, um, God gave me a gift of love for people around me. It was just overwhelming. Just, um, I would look at, you know, each nurse that comes in and I would just be like enamored with love for that person. And then the Lord showed me also how there are no throwaway people, you know, none of them, you know, you think, cause we kind of got conditioned to war and, you know, people dying. So you just kind of think, well, there goes a whole bunch of people, but, you know, there's a big heartache there in God's heart. And there are no throwaway people. And it kind of dovetails with what you were just saying, how when you look at a person, so every time a nurse would come in, they would come in and I would ask them their name. And that would make a really good connection. So I'd like, and you are? And they'd tell me their name and I'd repeat it and I'd say, nice to meet you. Uh, Liz or Gina, and I remember all of their the beautiful nurses, and the beautiful people. It was just a real gift to be um, enamored with his love for these people, um, and that was good. And then there was another thing I wanted to share, and that is, um, don't forget or don't don't underestimate the power of our worship in the heavenlies that we take, you know, a thousand to flight and Jesus is the leader of the army, uh, heavenly armies. And I know that with our worship, there's so much done in the heavenlies and we don't want it. We shouldn't take that for granted or just realize how much power there is because we are seated with him in heavenly places. Amen. And he has an assignment for each of us. Amen. So grab a hold of that one. Right. So that was something else he shared with me. That's great. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's not, it, it, I, I, as I'm looking at it here, I'll go ahead and share it, and then we'll do the, the other or whatever anybody's got. But uh, I was obviously working through my stuff here, praying. This was on uh, Wednesday. And I said, Father, this feels like a really immature question. So I guess I am coming from my child either childishness or child-likeness. I'd like to think the latter, but it could be the former. Um, so th- this is really, as you child. So here's my question. Why can things not be easy? I'm thinking about the election, but really about everything. What I meant by easier is in my opinion, uh, not that I think one would have been as good as the other, but if uh, if Biden had won by a landslide or if Trump had won by a landslide, both would be easier than this. And I just start thinking of all the things that seem like, oh, you have to push against them. Things to get done, calls in your life, a family situation, they always seem like there's almost an equal pressure the other way that you got to push against. If it's little, it's it's little and annoying. If it's big, it's big. So that was the basis of my question. And here's what I feel like the Lord said. 
the realm of turning into darkness has opened up so many and so constantly alternatives. You, talking about us, humanity, all always have alternatives. These carry the creative weight of your authority. That makes each alternate and a, a substitute thing that has to be overcome. It's your own weight that strengthens all these alternatives. The key is not strength against strength. That pits you against yourself, and it always feels like a challenge. The task, the opposition, is just as strong as you are, because it is. The answer is in rest and trust. In that place, in that act of surrender, you will find my strength, not mirrored by dark alternatives, able to overcome with an ease that feels miraculous. It really is just that without giving reality to the dark alternatives, my strength and yours is unopposed. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It was like really a huge revelation to me. And I had a flashback to, to, to meeting frustration with frustration in the, in the Gore thing. And I had a flashback to the temptations in the last few days that I, I was doing the same thing. And I also then, fortunately, had some instances the Lord could bring to mind where I just completely rested into a situation and trusted him. And remember, his answer to my first prayer on Tuesday morning is trust me with the election. So I've even felt a little bit guilty at not getting all wound up over it as much. And I felt guilty about, does that mean I don't care? Does that mean I don't have passion? And maybe it is. Maybe it means I've, I'm afraid of having the demonic outbreak of Bush v. Gore again. But I don't think so. I think it's that I've gained some trust in the Lord along the way. And so he is an awesome king, and he doesn't have to have me manufacture the awesomeness. I need to believe it. I need to have faith in it. And so that's been the practice that I've been attempting to do. Okay. I guess we'll face this way now. Sure. Um, I was recently pondering why I'm not upset about the election and stuff. And what I came up with, and this is going to sound really simple and basic, but I think those are the things that really have the most profound change in me that I really appreciate from God. And that is, um, I didn't have any fear about what's going to come. And then I reminded myself that perfect love casts out all fear, according to God. And the fact that I now can receive and accept and have God's love far greater than I ever have, I think is the answer for me. And I'm not trying to say if you feel fear, then you don't have enough of God's love. I'm trying to point out that for me, that seemed to be one of the reasons why I don't really have a problem with what's going on. I don't like it, but I don't have a problem with it, which was different for me. So I'm glad for the love that has driven out that fear. Well, I was just thinking, you know, when you get the pressure and you're trying to come up against it, right? But the, but the real work is the work to enter into his rest. Like that's the thing that it's like the work. You feel the whatever the deficit to do that, but. When you can do that, you know, the peace comes and it's almost an irresponsible feeling because you feel like, well, what's really happening here is now you're not responding out of fear or manipulation. Now you're, you can choose from the spirit what to do. You're not trying to manipulate the situation for your comfort, survival, to put down your fears. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of, what we're feeling a lot of times is God's the work to enter into his rest.
Amen. Yes, sir. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Abby's nanny, and no, oh, a couple of weeks ago, the context of the news was, oh, the laptop, and whoa, and and without thinking, there's times when you talk without thinking it's bad. I think this was talking without thinking that was good. <laughs> Just right off the tongue, I said, are you prepared for the world to go so? Because that's exactly what they're going to do. And I told her this verse. Uh, I didn't remember the reference at the time. Jesus is describing not the end times, but the approach of the end times, he said. Uh, Matthew twenty four twelve, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And in the Greek, that word many means most. Every context, including what Ronnie just said and... Uh, Pastor Larry's been saying, it's almost like, are you prepared to qualify for not letting this steal the love that the Holy Spirit gave you, that the Holy Spirit illuminates through you to others? Because you're an authority over that decision. You can grow cold. Mm -hmm. It's available to you. And uh, I asked Mary, and I have to tell you, it's kind of hypocritical because I'm not immune from that. It, a lot of stuff disgusts me that I'm hearing. I, I can't believe what I'm looking at. Um, and I could feel Jesus bringing that verse back to me for the last two weeks. Are you going to be one of those? Are you going to be the one who has my love flowing through you? Or are you just going to look at those stinking, corrupt ballots that are false and let the illegality take it? The illegality, if you let it, will take the love out of you. It's, and so, right along with what Richard just said, and what Pastor Larry, I believe, has alluded to, and one other preacher I like in Colorado Springs, I've heard it over and over again, we're on the cusp of one of the most amazing revivals, if not the most, because the darkness is so powerful. Exposed, yeah. And right there next, right after that verse in 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So these aren't the end times. It's the approach of... But the gospel of the kingdom, it's one of my favorite verses, Romans fourteen seventeen says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. If you focus on the illegality, you will not experience what you have. Your right in Christ is the righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. You'll give it away. I say you, I will give it away. Because I've been listening to the radio, like probably a lot of us, and gripping my, I, I drive full time, gripping my steering wheel, oh, those dirty, no good. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Didn't I say this was going to happen? I told you, I've been telling you for two weeks about this verse, so the lawlessness, because of the lawlessness, most, in the Greek, the words most, the love of most will grow cold. And I really feel like God's telling us, you have a choice. Whether the Supreme Court intervenes and get the leader we want or you don't, tons of Christians have had the leader they don't want through the years, through the ages. So that was just a really strong thing. It's been hitting me over the head for two weeks. And as I heard Ronnie and Richard, I was like, okay, i got to talk about that. <laughs> yes. Hey, Tash. No, that's good. Go ahead. We can hear you. I have been having just a thought resounding. I say Holy Spirit's bringing it to my recall, but I just keep going back to how when Christ was going to the cross, it, and even by his own people, they were asking, when is the kingdom going to be coming, thinking it was going to be an earthly kingdom. And then when he went before Pilate, and Pilate said, well, you're supposedly the king of the Jews. Where's your kingdom? And he says, you can't see it, blah, blah, blah. And I just keep getting this real sense that as long as we think that it is dependent upon who's in power, what party's in power, what chaos is going on, what whatever, 
then we don't have an idea. We don't have a true idea of what the kingdom is because we're still seeing it just like his disciples did as though it's an earthly kingdom. And it is not. There is something he is asking us to rise above. Either or. It doesn't matter which of the outcomes it is. We've got to be otherworldly, outside of it. And I don't know how to explain what I'm sensing, but... Okay, sorry. I think fixing our eyes on Jesus is one of the answers. And and because he is so incredibly good and able to adapt, uh, he can do a lot when we do that, when we look at him. So go ahead, let's talk about the Ascension. This was uh, this Wednesday. Yeah, so on Wednesday, our group met, and um, we um, first came face-to-face with the lion of the tribe of Judah, and we just saw the lion, and we were trying to discuss what do we do, and everybody was waiting. And so at first, it was just this comforting thing, and y'all, you guys tell me if there's if I miss anything that's important. Well, a couple of the details of the scene. <laughs> we ended up in this place, this high mountain meadow that we've been to several times before. It was a familiar place. And it's not, it doesn't have anything uh, particularly feature like it. There's no buildings there. It's just an open meadow. There's other mountains taller than it, but it's usually got a grassy thing. And it was a familiar place that we were brought to. And it was the lion. And it was obvious that it was Jesus. And he was like really big, like, and the size kind of got relative after a while, but he was like elephant big, you know, like big giant elephant big. And, and we were small in comparison. And we came up, and he kind of invited us. Yes, and then as we approached them, we um, then at first I think it was more like a comforting thing where we were we we were giving kind of a hug inside the main, and we just stayed there for a little while. And then um, one of the guys that's in our group um, was was saying, "Oh, main represents glory," and so we started. We were saying, "Oh, wow, this is amazing. We're in the we're inside the glory." So we were sitting within the glory, and we started seeing different pieces of the glory um, of God, and and we were seeing different things. It was very comforting, very soft. And I think it was on Wednesday, so we were all needing that comfort and that that softness and that um, embrace. So we stayed in that for some time. One of the gals, Linda, uh, Linda Nelson, mentioned that it, that she felt like Lucy in uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, being able to bury herself in the main of Aslan. And I think the comfort thing is a big is a big part. I mean, we need, we were looking for something, you know. And, and we discipline ourselves not to go with a super agenda, but we were looking for comfort. We were looking for direction. We were looking for something. And what he chose to give us was the ability to just get in there in the main, and it was soft, and it was fuzzy, and the, the hair had light in it, and it was beautiful, and it was it was and it, it lasted long enough without a break. That part that it was something in and of itself, the ability just to snuggle into Jesus. Yeah, and that light was really key because it was the, I mean, it was like it was, it was affecting us and affecting us, um, electricity wise, affecting us energy wise, frequency wise. And like, and like Larry said, we just stayed there for, for a while actually and just allowed that to embrace us and to, to be kind of, it was, it was as if becoming one with the glory of God, which was, was really cool. <laughs> so, which was fantastic. Um, and then as we moved through, I mean, I don't want to miss anything important, but what, what I think one of the things that I, that I, held on to the most was that in that place people started it was a great exchange people were saying there was i can't remember the exact words Mm. but basically an exchange where we where we were supposed to be exchanging things back and forth and we knew that from the beginning and so it's like god just started exchanging things within us but instead of sometimes you know we hand over something very intentionally instead god was god was calling attention to things within us that weren't bad like having expectations or having you know whatever it is so they weren't bad things they were just things within us but as we hand for me, one of them was a sense of independent responsibility to how to deal with this, how to do stuff, but a sense of independent responsibility. Yeah, and so like responsibility, it's not bad. I'm having having expectations for outcomes. That's good. We call it faith, right? So, so it's all these things that that we were that were in us, and then what was being exposed was really that what was within us. Um, as we handed it over, I'm trying to describe that 
how it felt. But as we handed it over, as it, as it went out of us, then I think, Larry, you're the one that said, um, I think what I got in exchange is not having it anymore. Yeah, because a lot of times in Ascensions and our group, when we exchange something in whatever the scenario is, it's like you get something else in return. You know, you'll exchange some burden and you'll get some scepter or something like that. This was, okay, all right, I'm ready to give this up. And I, and I gave it in exchange. And the thing I got back was not having it. And it was amazing. I mean, it felt like, oh, wow. I didn't know it felt like this to not have that. <laughs> it was, and a lot of people seem to experience a similar, yeah. just I'm taking this, this anxiety from you. I'm taking this responsibility from you. I'm taking this kind of stuff. Yeah. So all these things were leaving us, but really it was basically everything that was falling from us where it was anything that fell short of the glory of God and how much, I mean, all the things that are within us that fall. I mean, it makes me want to just spend my life within the main of the lion because I was like, there's so much within us that falls short of the glory of God. But it was, um, but after we felt like the world was falling short, everything around us is falling short. It was just this, it was such a nice, Comfort that then ended up going much deeper than, than even just the comfort, but the comfort of not having to be the glory of God, not having to be all, like not having to take this responsibility, not having to set the expectations and have faith, but instead we could release and could receive, um, the glory of God and just the, the way that that, that landed. And then, um, so is there anything more about the main part? Just, just that letting go of those things, and especially when I, whoever was, I think it might have been you mentioned falling short of the glory. I have always interpreted that scripture as a shame-based thing. In other words, oh, yeah, you know, we all fall short of the glory of God. There was zero shame in this situation. Jesus had created an interface between himself and us in this lamb, a lion in this man, where there literally was no repercussive shame, which allowed these things to be brought out and released in the most extraordinary way. And then along the same lines, I think the the whole thing, I mean, we've, we've heard in this season, whatever can be shaken will be shaken. Like ever since COVID, mm-hmm. we keep hearing that. Whatever can be shaken will be shaken. And I think I've taken that on the kind of that, that shameful side as well to go, oh, what's within me that has to be shaken out? Like it's been like this, oh, I wonder what's going to have to come out of me. And that whole shame that can come from that. But instead, it was this very um, beautiful and comforting moment where um, where he, where the lion of the tribe of Judah was roaring over us. And I mean, at first we were clinging to him and he said, hold on tight. And we, and, and we, he roared over us as we held on tight. And then the next thing we know, um, he wanted to roar again, but when he roared again, instead of us having to hold on tight, he was holding on to us in his palm and in his paw that he was holding on to us. And so as he breathed over us, it was so comforting to know this is shaking something. His, his, his roar shakes, his voice thunders. He, he, he shakes the earth and how comforting to know that we, it was, that we're safe because we don't have to cling to our own, like I hope I have enough faith to make it through the election or COVID or this or that or whatever. Whatever the world's going through, we don't have to say, oh, I hope I have enough to cling to it. But instead, he's not only roaring over us and doing the shaking, but he's the one that's holding us to make sure that we are safe and loved and and secure within that shaken moment that we don't have, that we're not going anywhere, that we're, we're, not, we're not leaving. It's not going to roar so loud that it busts us out into the open world to fly and that we don't we don't need to be afraid of that again. Yeah. And that was actually the first time that my thoughts went back to the situation that we had entered, that I had entered, thinking, okay, I really want to see, Lord, how we how we stand in this, how do we win this, how do we do this? Um, just that, yes, things are designed right now to be shaken, but you don't need to be afraid of that. And then the eyes and the fire. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Um, Remember? Not much, but I'm only thinking for saying Okay, so so one of the gals. Uh, as as we were being held here, people had various experiences and they're shaking. When Jesus was roaring at me, I felt like one of those uh, old Three Stooges things when they have a big air blaster blown in your face and it went all over the place. And it was kind of fun, actually. And and to think that the shaking of this world, to bring about righteousness, to bring about transformation, to bring about the judgment of wickedness and darkness, all those things, that's all real. But we're in his hands in that shaking. It was a beautiful thing. And it was fun the way he was manipulating it. But then uh, Laura saw, she looked up, and, and because we were being held in front of him, she could look into his eyes, and she saw fire. And and we got drawn into that fire. And we had had a, an ascension two weeks previous where we had encountered that fire. And in, it was kind of in the same place, actually. Remember, the, the meadow was alive with that fire. 
And uh, it was just like the rest of the ascension that there was absolutely nothing to fear or be ashamed about in being purified and judged by that fire. And But the fire absolutely did its work. It, it could do its work. All this stuff that we're facing, it will be illuminated. It will be judged. It will be purified. So... Yes, and then um, and, and then through that, I just remember the expectation because I was super excited all morning going, God's going to take us somewhere. God's going to really take us somewhere. And so I think that in the face of the disappointment, for those who aren't as familiar or as comfortable with ascension, I do think one of the things that I'm realizing is that it, it's doing a really quick work where um, what, what could take a long time to really sort out with God, it's just happening really fast so that we walk away and ever since then the shaking has not been so scary i mean the what's happening has been i've been like um like the super peaceful like i don't feel guilty never feel like oh should i feel guilty for not being super stressed and like what i was saying so but there was something about that shaking and in that moment where we were, we're coming face to face with god and as we come face to face with god in any form but in the ascension it was um that that shaking was very real and was very like we i felt like okay we've been shaken and so we're okay to go out to the world because it can't shake us any more than what the roar of, of the lion has shaken us. And, mm-hmm. and the fire can't ever be so strong that it's more than the fire that's within his eyes. And so whatever it is that we, we go through in our natural can't ever be as strong as who he is. And so it was very comforting and it kind of gave direction on how to stand next. Yeah. Um, and then um, one, uh, one of the ladies in there said, oh, when we said we're going somewhere exciting, I never dreamt it would be in the in a tiny hair molecule in the DNA strand of the Lion <laughs> of the Tribe of Judah. But I, I would have never guessed that's where we're heading. But it was like, just, but it, I think there was something about that power. Of, like we think of his roar, we think of his paw, we think of shaking. All those things are so powerful. But to say, oh, there's way more power within the tiny, you know, the, the tiniest of the, the pieces of the DNA strand of, the, of one hair on his head um, is so more powerful than anything that we could face. So. Yeah, that's great. Good job. That's really good. Yeah, I I, I love your your one point too about if you are unfamiliar with the whole ascension thing, don't worry about that. I mean, Vicky was just praying, right? And and the Lord opened up this picture and just kind of roll with that. Uh, same thing. Richard was saying, you know, here's some things to declare. The point is, Jesus is in fact the center of God's redemptive plan. He is, in fact, the center of creation. He is, in fact, the center of redemption. He is, uh, as Baxter Kruger, Kruger likes to say, the one thing that you won't ever hear in heaven is, wow, Jesus, we really overestimated your role in all of this. <laughs> so, be passionate. Be committed. Pray. But in the mix of it all, Go to Jesus. Spend some time between clients in your car while you're waiting for the next call. Just say, Lord, is there anything you would show me? And then trust it. Trust him. My sheep hear my voice. He speaks. So, anybody else? This is this is more of a question since I wasn't at the Ascension, but you said you had a type of encounter with Abba such that the verse, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, came up, but it wasn't sad or shameful in the traditional context. Yeah. You said something, I think it was four or five years ago, you were having a conversation with God, and you said, God, did I, did I kind of come short of, did I... Uh, fall short of your glory. Fall short of your and and he, you said God was laughingly saying, "Of course you did." Of course you did. <laughs> and as the whole point is, we're not going to. Our brains aren't like that. We we can't. But we're kids, almost like Abby is with me. Mm-hmm. Um, is that sort of the feeling? Very much so. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, of course, but it was. There was no shame associated with it. There was no sense of judgment. That passage of scripture no longer carries that undertone to me. Uh, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All that does is a reflection of a reality that causes us to humble ourselves, receive what Jesus is, who he is, what he's done, and so on. So it's okay to be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. 
Okay. Now, here's another thing that God has gifted me with lately. Um, so in the lead up to the election, I would try to listen to, to some news clips. And I got where I was only doing it like on YouTube or something. And I, I really couldn't listen very long, especially if I, I mean, like I would try to listen to a mainstream media outlet and uh, it just, it, it just was just oppressive to me. And it, I could tell it would stir up bad things. And so the, um, the Lord gave me this guy as a gift. Uh, his name is Andrew York. Any of you familiar with him at all? He's a classical guitar player. He's been around for a long, long time. Uh, he's really very good. This is a composition of his called Home. And then I want you just to remember something. I'll tell you while we listen to it. Uh, I'm actually sending an email to Andrew York. I don't know him at all. I'm sending an email to him this weekend. And I'm asking him if I can use some of his video clips to lead in and follow the teaching I'm putting together for the, for the, the, uh, for YouTube and the web. And the reason is because two, two points. I don't know much about Andrew and I don't know what his religious affiliations are or not or whatever the case is. But the belief that I have come to understand, you know, like Krieger talks about, Max Krieger talks about that we all breathe Christological air. The courage of a fireman is, is the courage of Jesus in relationship to his thing. The love of a mom for a kid, the passion of people. These are all manifestations, whether we know it or not, of Christ loving and leading creation. And so, uh, let this, in the midst of all of this uh, urgency, and in the midst of the seriousness of it, and in the midst of the, the rightness of standing firm, believing, having faith, making the declarations, listening to the voice of the Lord and doing exactly what he says, let this soothe your heart. If it soothes yours the way it did mine, Holy Spirit, let you use this.
just two things I want to pass on to you from that. It's the first 20 or so times I watched that, I just cried out to the Lord. Let my heart be whole and, and integrated with who I am and who you are, Lord. For some reason, that video, watching him play, there's an integration there. There's a, there's a togetherness between what he was playing and what he did. And it represented a kind of passion and peace and, and beauty that the Lord has obviously given the guy as a talent. And so I just, I want us all in the midst of all of this to have that place of rest and retreat. However you do that. And however the Holy Spirit will help you. From that place, everything else can flow and, and can keep you sane and, and you're through this. And the other thing is that guitar is 200 and, uh, 1988, 132 years. Okay. So pretty good for a guitar. Think how many presidents <laughs> have come and gone. How many national crises? How many wars? while that thing was sitting there ready to be picked up and played at any given moment. 1888. So, uh, pretty cool. Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for making the Father known to us. Lord, we ask you that you resolve all of these election issues in righteousness. And we thank you for words prophesied and for purpose for our country, for people. We pray for our president. We ask that you comfort him. Lord, we don't want to retreat or withhold our faith. But we don't want to do battle the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to tearing down strongholds. And we want to notice you in the midst. We want to realize that we can't let our imaginations run so deep and so far that we lose sight of the fact that you are the hero in the midst of this. You are the Father redeeming your children. You are light, illuminating and pushing out the darkness. You are spirit touching the core of everybody involved, seeking to set them free from the bondage and the deception that is so intrinsic in all of this stuff. And then you are love. And you are love. And you have left us with one command, follow you. And the characteristic of that command is to love one another as you have loved us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us through the pages of Scripture and through our encounters with you and ascensions and prayer times and devotional times, through messages that others preach and stories that we hear, you would teach us how you love, how you love us. How you loved Nicodemus, how you loved Zacchaeus, and how you loved the rich young guy who couldn't part with his stuff. How you loved Pilate as you stood before him, ready to face the condemnation that led to all of our deliverances. Help us make you the center of our attention through all of this. Let us be diligent to fight, to pray, or to support those, Lord, to whom you call us. But help us learn to love. Let us walk out of this with the ability to be children of our Father. Have your way in our country, God. Have your way in the affairs of our government, 
and in this most current situation with the election, have your way. We align with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.